decided to take the sound effects and music for Scarehouse and compile those into a digital form. You don't just go to Scarehouse, you're going to also bring Scarehouse into your home. Coming up, we're discussing affordable ways you can do media outreach for your haunt. You don't need a large budget, but you need a focus on building allies. Okay, it may seem a little early to look at this, but now is exactly the time you need to be laying the groundwork for your Halloween season. Welcome to the show. I'm Philip. On the Haunted Trash Network show, we bring the haunt industry to you every weekday. We have news on location coverage and interviews from haunts around the world. On Fridays, we discuss the business of Halloween. So if that's not really something you're looking for, check back on Monday for our regular news. Today's episode is a replay, but it's still relevant. If you are new to the show, or if you want to tell your friends about it, our podcast website has categories to help you sort through our over 700 episode catalog. Just visit haunt.news or search for us in your Spotify app to get started. Today, we'll speak with John Singh. John works annually with the Scarehouse in Pittsburgh, and his career includes working with Blumhouse Productions on the Blumhouse of Horrors, six years at Lucasfilm, and nine years at the Walt Disney Company. We'll pick up with the importance of building allies for your haunt. And by the way, the music that you're hearing, it's from the campaign with the Scarehouse that John mentioned at the top of the show. But we're going to get to that. There is a really robust and interesting kind of culture built up around haunts and haunt operators. But I think a lot of times people approach this whole concept as if it's adversarial, as if it's competitive, Mm. as if you have to position yourself as the best at the exclusion of others. And I think that when it comes to making allies and building relationships, it starts both at the local level of understanding who your friendly competition is, being able to appreciate what the others are doing and to encourage everybody, but also to look at who in your community at large can help build the word of mouth and build the attendance for you. It might be a tourism board. It might be a film board that you have locally. It might be some kind of booster or chamber of commerce group who wants to know what they can do to help build some excitement in the community. Because let's face it, every single community in the United States is trying to bolster economic activity. They're trying to get people out of their houses, especially now. They're trying to get people excited about things to do. So if you can turn to them first and say, hey, here's what we're doing, and here's why we're excited about being in this market, you can start getting them excited. Offer them tickets, offer them to come in, offer them a group night so they can come see what you're doing. Offer them behind the scenes tours as you're developing. We're probably beyond that now for most people, but for next year and even for the remainder of this year, it's get people in so they can start talking about what you're doing. And then start working with your local media. Start getting proactively, getting people excited about having this rare opportunity because let's face it, three or four or five weeks of the year is a pretty rare thing every year. So build some excitement around it. So it's really important to make sure that you're doing the outreach and you're marketing, first of all, to marketers. 
Secondly, it's really important to, and this is what we found out with Blumhouse, is it was really important to define ourselves, to talk about what we offered, the experience that we had, what made us different from any other haunted activity. That was particularly important because, as we found out, Delusion and Haunted Hayride were really big in the market. And how do we come in as somebody new to the market? And so a lot of that came down to media outreach. We had two really big advantages that most haunt operators don't have. Number one, we were in LA and we were in a, in, in a massive media market. And number two, this was a little bit before Blumhouse had really broken out in entertainment. Yeah. So we had the advantage, though, of having some name recognition with Jason Blum and the work that he had already done, being able to market ourselves to horror outlets. And so they were naturally interested to see what he might do. The element of surprise was huge back then because it wasn't tied. Unlike The Purge, the first Blumhouse we did was not tied to any existing IP as they call it today. Mm -hmm. It was mm -hmm. a completely original idea and went really well after a very slow start. But one of the things we did really early on was to position ourselves almost a movie or a TV show, positioning ourselves as a piece of entertainment first mm -hmm. and foremost, something that people were going to want to experience for themselves. And I think that's something that a lot of haunt operators forget once they get into the nitty gritty of putting it together and going through the operational stuff. They forget about how do we position this and how do we talk about ourselves as really unique in the market. Mm -hmm. Yeah, let's get into specific tactics. Some of the tactical things that we did with Blumhouse, which I've carried through to the work I've been doing on Scarehouse, are things like media previews and kind of teasers to the media, getting people interested in what you're doing by uh, promoting yourself and promoting yourself beyond just couponing and flyers. When you're looking at building excitement and creating a sense of buzz speak around what you're doing. There are a few things you can do that can be as inexpensive or as elaborate as you want them to be. So number one would be to understand who your target media are, whether they're newspapers, TV stations, radio stations in your local community, or if you're maybe a little bit of a bigger haunt or you're, you have a little bit more of a regional presence, start building it outwards to include people who cover what haunts are exciting and which ones people don't want to miss. And then figure out what you can do to reach out to them both on an email basis as well as on a physical basis, and I think people forget these days that physical, tactile things actually matter. So this year at Scarehouse, for instance, we spent a lot of time talking about what we might be able to do to um, generate some excitement beyond just sending out press releases. This year in particular, we hit on the idea 
of taking some Scarehouse characters. This is the 20th year for Scarehouse. And over the 20 years, they've developed some characters who are evergreen, who come back year after year. So we took some of these characters and some artwork that we had created for them, and we blew up their mouths and put them onto face masks. So Mm -hmm. we're sending out a couple of Scarehouse-branded face masks with very unique, specific creepy sort of mouths on them and we're setting out a scarehouse t-shirt which is a very easy thing to do that most people probably already create for their crew this year we decided to go one step further and take the sound effects and music that have been developed for scarehouse and compile those into a digital form that we can share online, through social, through digital, share with media, and also use that as a way to bring some of what we do at Scarehouse and put it into the world so that it's not just a one-way relationship. You don't just go to Scarehouse. You're going to also bring Scarehouse into your home, which is very much in keeping with what a Disney or Universal does to bring your brand into the daily lives of your most active consumer. This all came up out of the desire to do something tangible, but also to do something that was relatively low cost. Mm -hmm. And we had some initially really grand ideas about things that we could send and and we were going to put Scarehouse in a box and have props and all this. And we realized that A, it was really expensive, B, it was really time consuming, and C, it was just going to be too much effort. So it became a question of how can we narrow this down into something that is fun and exciting that can go out to people both physically and digitally. So in addition to the scores and scores that we're sending out physically, we're also going to send out a lot more digitally. What I really like about this too, is that it is story driven. It is artwork from the characters that people will recognize. So it's within the story and it's face masks because the face masks are so required in some areas. They're useful items. And the sound is tied directly to what they'll be hearing in the house because it's an album that was put together that was designed and produced just for Scarehouse. So it's music that gets people in the mood that they can use for like their Halloween parties or whatever. It all is story driven, which I think is important because you don't want to send something that is too divorced from what the experience is that you're trying to differentiate on. Whenever you're engaging in any sort of marketing or PR activity, you have to figure out what kind of story you want to tell. Even if your haunt has only the loosest story or only has a series of vignettes, you have a story to tell about what your haunt is, how it's created, how it works within the community, how well received it is. And that kind of a story is what you can put together and package to go out into uh, the broader world. I think that there are two barriers here. The first barrier is figuring out who you want your wish list of of people. And your second barrier is getting them to respond, right, with an address. There are a lot of ways to figure out who your best audience is from a marketing and PR standpoint. Number one is research the media 
and spend a lot of time doing this. Spend time reading about other haunts and not just reading about them, but seeing who covers them, the ones that you love, the ones that you get attracted to every year. Who writes about them? How do they write about them? And how can you take that information and use it to your advantage, which is to develop a media list? So that's number one. Number two is to figure out who is your audience target and where do they get their information from? So you're going to have a lot of radio stations, a lot of uh podcasts, Mm -hmm. a lot of influencer media in Instagram and Facebook and Twitter who you can reach out to because this is the way your audience learns about what they want to be learning about. And one way to do that is if you have an already active social media presence is to get to know who's actually looking at your social media, Mm -hmm. who follows you, And then start, again, research is the key, start figuring out who do they in turn follow in the local community or in the kind of specialty world, where do they get their information? You can find out a lot about where you want to reach out to by looking at who's following you. Your email to me was just like, what's the address we want to send you a gift? Joe Pulitzi for his content, Inc. launch did something very similar. You know, he sent out cookies and he was like, just replied with what flavor of cookie between these options and then like where you want me to send them. It, it doesn't have to be complicated, is my point. Who's and, not going to say, yes, I want cookies? Exactly. See, and that's the <laughs> thing. It doesn't have to be complicated. It, it can be even handwritten invitations. It can be baked goods. One of the tricks that I discovered a long, long time ago in what I do is the power of asking people. A lot of publicity and marketing people just start blasting out information. They assume everybody wants to know. They don't start out by approaching everybody saying, hi, my name is John and I'm working with Scarehouse. Would you be interested in receiving some information about our activity this year? Once you have people saying yes, even if you only have a media list that starts out with 10 or 15 people, You have 10 or 15 people that want to receive your information. And that's way more valuable than a list of 400 people who don't want your information. Like the trust ladder, right, that you hear Pat Flynn talk about. You start with a small ask. And and your strategy is right on the mark for that because it's, would you like to receive information? Sure, that's fine. And then ask two, we're going to send you like some package. Would you like to receive this package? What's your address? That's ask two, right? Then ask three is here's the music that we're going to be featuring in this year's show. It was custom made. It's this 20 year celebration. Would you like to listen to it? Would you like to just just enjoy it? Ask three. Then then by the time you get to your, your fourth ask, which is the, would you like to visit the event or cover the event or whatever the fourth ask will be in the future, you, you have this ladder built up of, increasing touch points. It's amazing to me how long it can take to get a response Mm -hmm. from somebody you really want to cover you. I've had clients and projects where I've spent literally two years just sending information, just what can I do, pitching them on things and hearing that they say, no, we're not interested this time. And then one day, out of the blue, because they've established a relationship with you, 
they send you an email completely out of the blue. Hey, we were thinking about doing something about haunted houses and I remembered you. Could we do some? These things take time. Mm -hmm. I think that the other really important thing to remember is that we start talking about Halloween and haunts usually in the middle of summer. We start outwardly talking about it. And people generally outside of this community aren't ready to think about fall when it's 103 degrees outside and they're going to the beach. But that doesn't mean that you have to stop. And it doesn't mean that your strategy is incorrect. It just means that you have to be patient and understand Mm -hmm. that by the time they finally catch up, by the time it goes below 50 degrees at night, by that time, they're going to have a whole slew of information from you. So it's about having, a, as you mentioned, Philip, it's about having a really good story and knowing how to package and position yourself and then giving it time to breathe. The research is something you start now for next year and, and you look at who posts what about who this year and you put it, make a spreadsheet, put everything down. And then you start working on your ideas and your campaigns and making your ladder of asks and outreach that you're going to do. And you get it all ready because that kicks into gear as you get into summer and past summer where everything needs to be scheduled. It is year-round work. You also learn every single time you do this. For example, we just, about three weeks ago, reached out to the Travel Channel. We finally (laughs) were able to get a contact there because they're notoriously difficult to reach. And they basically said, oh, darn, we just finished our Halloween planning in July. Uh, of course right? they did. So if you talk to them in April, mm-hmm. some places that are looking at a very long schedule are ready to talk to you in March or April. And some places are not. Mm-hmm. But you have to think on those terms. And that includes, depending on the market you're in, could include working, for example, with your chamber of commerce or working with your local tourism board on their magazines that they place in rooms or they send out to potential customers of convention centers and things like that. They're looking at doing their October issue in March. That doesn't mean if you haven't done this by the time you're listening to this that you're lost. It doesn't mean that at all. It means think about that for mm-hmm. next year. Mm-hmm. But also, start building those relationships now. Invite them in. Invite your local high school principal in. Invite your junior college classes in. Spend money on comp tickets and tours and special activities. Understand that you're not going to realize revenue off of that now but you will theoretically increase your revenue next year. Again, you don't have to get complicated or complex. Start an Excel spreadsheet or a Google Doc now and log all of those stories that you're reading. Who wrote them? Spend time Googling. I have a very expensive, very cumbersome media database that I use. And I would say seven out of 10 times it's worthless 
because I can find the same information just by Googling. It takes time and it takes effort, but that time that you spend pays off. The examples you used earlier might have sounded weird. It's like high school principal and these people from high schools. And it's it makes sense if you were looking at it in terms of they know a bunch of people in the community. And if you are a college or a high school town and they know a bunch of people, that that's what it's about. Absolutely. It is kind of astonishing how much things like high school newspapers or high school newspaper websites or college newspapers, college newspaper websites, college radio stations, how much they can matter. But also, if you have a local rock station or a local country station or a local, you know, news station in your market that you listen to, first of all, odds are lots of other people are listening to it too. And it doesn't take a lot to get them excited. Yeah. If you offer them a hundred tickets and they can, you know, parse it out whatever they, way they want to, a lot of times that makes up for not having a budget and not being able to spend money with them. Mm-hmm. And you can talk about maybe next year we can spend a couple thousand dollars with you or spend a few hundred dollars with you. But this year, can we offer you these giveaways? A lot of people overlook this. And I think a lot of people spend time understandably focused on the operations mm-hmm. and focused on traditional sort of as i mentioned earlier couponing and flyering and papering and that sort of stuff that that they've always done and it's always worked and guess what it'll probably work again this year but if you really want to amp things up there are some things that you can do that don't take a lot of money But they do take some time and they take some research. And I think that's the kind of investment you want to be making. Yeah. How do you go about figuring out what the pitch is going to be, what the story is going to be? And I assume you also change it a little bit, depending on whether you're talking to the local high school versus Fox News. Number one is when you start getting into opening and you start getting into the actual operating days of your haunt, most haunts that I've ever seen from small to very large, have some soft opening nights. They have some preview nights. They have some rehearsals. Those are the times to invite your media in, especially to invite your broadcast media in, Mm -hmm. because your local TV station, who is probably going to want to cover you because they want those kinds of images. They want those exciting sorts of moments of having their reporter gets scared on camera or having something exciting kinetic to show on tv but they take time those having media in is a commitment and it takes time and patience and understanding of what they're looking for and working to deliver it so from a very tactical point of view When you start asking local media to come in, try not to schedule a media day. Try to give them a range of days to come in and a range of times. It might be off time if you can bring on the staff to come in, if you can bring on the performers to come in, or you might need to negotiate with them about when you can do this. But give each crew the space it needs to go through your haunt over and over to understand that they 
missed something the first time, or they're trying to get ideas in their head of where they can do a stand-up, you're talking about a couple of hours minimum to have Mm -hmm. a news crew there. Mm -hmm. And I think that we've seen over and over a lot of large, very well-known haunts spend uh, time focused on the consumer approach and even when they bring in media, they're not always prepared to spend time giving media exactly what they need. So it doesn't matter whether you're a tiny little haunt as long or, or a really large one. If you can offer your local TV station something exciting and fun, do it. Spend time reaching out to them. Start with their news desk. Almost every TV station in the entire country who has a news element starts out with just a tips or news desk at email address. And believe it or not, unlike most news outlets, those get read every single morning by an intern usually who then cascades it up to the right person. But they get read because they're looking for ideas and tips every single day. Mm-hmm. So that's number one. There's also the issue of understanding how to position and differentiate your haunt. Now, a lot of it comes down to who your target audience is. A lot of haunts are very traditional. They have jump scares, and they're not necessarily meant for young kids, but they're kind of family-oriented. Anybody from 14, 13, or 14 on up can enjoy this, and that's one kind of haunt. Then there's the intense haunts, the ones that are intended for mature audiences. And then there are the intimate haunts, the basement style stuff that Scarehouse mm-hmm. does or blackout sort of thing. And those have a place too. But generally speaking, the sweet spot for media coverage is going to be something that appeals to the largest number of people. Then you can add to that your outlier, your intense yeah. experience or in some cases, your family and your younger person experience. In that middle ground, it's really important to be able to talk about your story, your tradition, your approach, and your creativity. Those are the things that differentiate one haunt from another. In one town, there might be a corn maze and a local JC's haunted house and a pro house. Mm-hmm. And why does one pop more than the other? I think those are the kinds of elements that make them pop. The idea of the story behind them, the tradition of why they're here and how they've developed over the years and the creativity that's on display. What makes people want to come back to your haunt year after year? The reason people go and the reason some haunts like a scare house, and they're just one of many that have maintained over the years, is because they've developed a reputation of being intensely creative, whatever the story is, and super committed to the the kind of storytelling and the kind of atmosphere and art direction and quality that people expect. It sounds so basic, but one thing 
people fail to do is just reach out to their local media and to let them know that they're there. Let them know that they are an alternative. For the most part, people forget to actually tell their local newspapers and local TV stations and their local radio stations that they're there. Okay, that's it for today. By the way, I'm teaching today at West Coast Halloween Convention, actually on media and the press releases. If you're in the area, come say hello. I'll be there all weekend. But otherwise, we'll catch you back here Monday for our regular news. Today's episode was produced and edited by me, Sheila Fernandez, with post-production by David Swope. Support for this episode comes from Gantam Lighting and Controls. See what you're missing with a free demo. Sign up at gantam.com demo. We release a free weekly industry newsletter. Sign up on our website or at the link in our show notes. The Haunted Attraction Network team includes Daryl Plunkey, Emily Louise Rua, Megan Spells, Gavin Burns, and Maximus Bryant. Our partner stations include A Scott in the Dark, Scare Track, The Scare Factor, and Haunt Topic Radio. Finally, please, please, please rate and subscribe to our show wherever you're listening. And until next time, Haunters, stay scary. This is a Haunted Attraction Network.